Well, Zach, you look different. You've what? got a, a certain glow about you. Ah, dude, it's so nice sitting out here on the beach. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Shh, everyone keep it down. Can we move a little away from the waves? <sighs> How we doing, Coop? Man, I, I just... I mean, you got married yesterday. I did. No, two days ago, actually. Two days ago. This is a Monday. That's I true. got married on Saturday. That's true. That's true. That's you true. know, I thought um, you were married on Sunday. No, no, no. I, I'm married. Time flies, man. Yeah. So all the listeners out there, I am a married man. So what have you learned from marriage so far? It's it's so sanctifying. Really? I mean, I just it's it's hard, but it's good. Yeah. And just, you know, and, you know, and like service and, and like you're cooking. It's amazing. It's great. It's really? it's so great. Mm. Uh, marriage has been really good. So yeah. sanctifying was so good. So is that like, is that what you think you're going to say when you, I mean, this is pre-recorded. Yeah. So. In about a week or so, I'll probably say that. Okay. So that would, we're not, I'm not actually on the beach. Yeah. I'm still in the studio. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're about to get married though, man. Getting you, married in a week. Literally from today, you are getting married in yeah. one I'll be married literal in a week. week. This is being recorded on Saturday, <laughs> August 15th exposed. We, we do stuff beforehand. We it's don't last live. minute everything. Shocking. Hey, uh, I'm going to burst some bubbles here. The we podcast plan ahead. isn't live. It's not live. We have the capacity to, to plan ahead. Monica cuts it? out a ton of stuff that we say every week. <laughs> Monica is – she also controls our schedule too. She so does. she puts it out. Thanks, Monica. Thank you, Monica. Shout She'll probably out. cut this out. She's so humble. <laughs> she is. <laughs> she hates it when we shout her out. I know. Oh, well. Thanks, oh, well. Monica. Thanks, Monica. But yeah, dude, marriage is right around the corner. I know. Which means I get a new roommate. <sighs> yes. And that kind of hurts. I know. I'm sorry. I think – I consider it an upgrade – I mean, yeah. But you're about as like great as it gets. Uh, if 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 you were to be rooming with a male, <laughs> I am your guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you were married to a, maybe a, I don't know, bride, I'm not your guy. <laughs> I know. I no, never, never. But yeah, it's it's really crazy. It's like you you live your whole life very independent, and then marriage, and you're like, whoa, yeah. this is crazy. Get, so give these give these young leaders out here one tip. <laughs> As you have gone through the single, the dating, mm. the engaged process, almost to marriage, almost give us one small nugget of truth, Zach. Wow. I'm, I'm hanging on the edge of, your, wow. of my seat in your words. Let's see. I think something that I've learned, and I'm going to be genuine. Be, I know. I'm okay. genuinely asking. I know. I was, I was literally sitting over here like, what, what's something funny I could no, say? No, man. Like, I'm just not that good. I'm let not the as people, quick as you. Let the people learn. All right. All right. All right. I think a lot of people waste engagement. Mm. And they spend six, eight, 12 months of engagement planning a wedding. They have a fantastic wedding, but they're not ready for marriage. Yeah. And so I think that is where a lot of people miss it. And so that's one thing me and Abby, my my wife in a week. Uh, by the time this is out, your By wife. the time this is out, yeah. So to all of you, she's my wife. To me uh, currently, <laughs> it's your fiance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. An emphasis we put on is that Whenever we get married, we want to be ready for marriage and not just have a great wedding. And yeah. so the whole we – we've been engaged for eight months. That eight months, we wanted to be spent on preparing ourselves and becoming a better husband, becoming a better wife. So when we walk into marriage, that we are ready and that we are equipped. And ready, to, obviously, you can never be fully yeah, ready. Well, I'm not ready. <laughs> no, I, yeah, but, but – yeah. I know what you mean, the listeners. Right, right, right. They've been with us for a while. They know as what you mean. As ready as we can get. And that's right. one thing that was very, especially for my personality too, of like, 
wanting to be ready and wanting to be the best yeah. as soon as I get there. Colin Sparks, who did our uh, premarital counseling, looked me in the eye and told me, he's like, you are not going to have all the answers the day you're married. Which is tough to hear. It is very it's tough not to the, hear. It's not the pump-up speech you <laughs> wanted from your, the guy no, in your corner. It's not what I wanted, but it's what I needed to hear. Right. And that's more important. And he was like, it's not about if you finish, mingling of souls, you and me forever, the meaning of marriage. These are all books. All, these are all books. All these books before you're married. He's like, those are great resources, but you still will not have all the answers and yeah. you will learn through marriage. I'm like, that is so good. Thank you for telling me that truth I needed to hear. Yeah, of course. But You're welcome. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm ready. Let's, yeah, man. I mean, bring it on. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. And uh, by the time this airs, you're married. So I'm sure you'll have a married. whole nother week's worth of wisdom to share with us. But well, uh, yeah. man, enjoy the beaches of Mexico. Correct? Mexico. Mexico. Arriba, Mexico. Uh, as they say. As they, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. What I've saying. heard that they say that. Hola. They, I think they say that Hola, too. ¿cómo estás? How do they? How well, you know what else they say? Uh, biblioteca. Yes, and welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, an unmarried man, <laughs> Cooper McCullough, That's unmarried me. but not single. I'm dating. You're dating. I'm dating. Ah, uh, anyway. Well, hola, Cooper. Hola. Como estas? It's just good to see you from Mexico. <laughs> but not Zoom, which I'm thankful uh, for. Yeah, it's a good thing we have our ducks in a row this week. <laughs> That's right. You know, speaking of ducks, and speaking of the only place that maybe could have been better for a honeymoon than Mexico. And that is the place that you go after you win the Super Bowl. Disney's Magic Kingdom. You've been to Disney. I have. What, what do you think of Disney? Um... It's excellent. Yes. I would say yes. Amazing. literally magical, I think, is the way. Personally, mm. I'm a fan of Kanika K. Kauai's Family Camp of Resort. Course. Highly recommend it. I've had families say that they've their kids have begged to go there instead oh, yeah. of Disney. Well, because you're there. Shameless plug. I'm passionately because, because I've worked there. But Disney, right. Disney is the inspiration to which K. Kauai takes its wings. I went to Disney uh, Christmas break of my junior year of college. So I'm 21. Sick invite. 20, yeah. 21. Sorry. With my family. Yeah. When my parents told us we were going on a trip, I was kind of like, oh, sweet, skiing, beach, yeah. baby, you know. They're like, we're going to Disney. And I was kind of like, we're doing what? You're like, I'm, but I'm, you know that I'm old. And all my brothers are kind of older too. The youngest one's 13. So like. Shout out, Will. Shout out, Will. We love Will. Man. And so I was like, really? We went. I cannot wait to go back. Wow. And when you said magical, I was like, yes, it really is magical. There's something different about Disney yeah. that is genuinely magical. I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But One speaking of, of Disney, speaking of say. Disney, we have a man named Dan Cockrell on the podcast today. I was hoping this was going somewhere. It, yeah. So we're not just talking about Disney. Dan Cockrell, when he retired, as you say, stepped away from uh, Disney to start his own business, and he just released a book. He was the VP of the Magic Kingdom. That's vice president, people. Imagine being the VP of the Disney's Magic Kingdom. That's unbelievable. He literally he, – he, only one person above him is in charge of the magic. He's I the mean, magic man. He's the magic man. Wow. He, has a, he has a kingdom. He has a literal kingdom That's with amazing. a literal castle. That's amazing. It does not get better than that. But I think a lot of times young leaders think – Hey, I want that C-suite position. I want to be the leader. I want to yeah. be the VP, the president, the executive director, CEO, whatever you want to call it. But you got to start somewhere. Right. And Dan Cockrell's story starts in the parking lots of Epcot. Which is, I mean, 
that's just, just that's the come up story you love to hear. Oh, that's amazing. He's parking cars in Epcot for five years. Wow. No, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> Six months. Okay. <laughs> Six months. And then he went to France to help them open their store in France. And he gets into the story of how he eventually becomes VP of Epcot, which was cool for him because that's where he started. And then the VP of the Magic Kingdom. Wow. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. He just wrote a book. It's called How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? I mean, Ooh. and it's cool because the the cover, like the font of the words, Disney, Disney theme, oh. which is iconic. iconic, iconic. You know, when you, you know. look at those letters, you know, and you're buying. Tinkerbell the made them. So you can go get it anywhere it's sold. Actually, the day we interviewed him, we talk about it is the day the book released. Wow, like on Amazon bookstores anywhere you can find it. So go get the book. How's the culture magical. in your kingdom by Dan Cockrell? This is a fun interview. Disney's fun. We kind of get behind the scenes look at what Disney looks like, how the excellence, the magic happens between the ears of Mickey, if you will. That's right. <laughs> between the ears of Mickey, I like that. That might be the title. Okay. We might have to do that. I love it. I love it. Well, without any further achoo. Oh, God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Here he is, Mr. Dan Cockrell. Well, Dan, first of all, congrats. Your book came out today. How does it feel? It has been a, a long time in the making. I mean, I talked to the guy I hired to help us edit it. I talked to... Uh, May of uh, 2018, like the two weeks before I left Disney, I was talking to the guy because I knew I wanted to do this. Right. And um, from th that point until now, so it's been a little over two years to get it all, the concept done, written, edited, uh, and put put out there. So just launched. It's kind of surreal. It's been a oh. lot of work going into that. I mean, that's amazing. Congratulations. Well, we have Dan Cockrell. And kind of introduce yourself. You kind of mentioned in there a little bit. You're from Disney. Kind of talk about that. What's your what's your story and, and kind of where did you come from? Yeah, sure. So uh, my dad was with Marriott for 16 years. So we moved around a lot when I was growing up. He worked in food and beverage. And every time a new hotel was opening, he was transferred there. So uh, we moved it. We lived in lots of different cities growing up and we settled in uh, Maryland in um, when I was in fifth grade. And I grew up out right outside of DC and ended up going to Boston university and studied political science and uh, worked um, waited tables in college, uh, worked at the beach. And then the, my second summer at a college or my sophomore year, I worked on the Walt Disney world college program. So okay. we have about 12,000 students at, um, at Walt Disney World at any given time working. And it's a great experience for them. A lot of them are hospitality majored, so they right. can get uh, college credits. And so I did that. I worked at the Contemporary Hotel at the front desk and then went back to school. And when I graduated, I still really didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't have a plan. Political science was very interesting, but I didn't want to get in the law. I didn't want to. Right. So I ended up going back to Disney and interviewed them. Excuse me. <clears throat> and, um, they said, okay, um, what do you want to do? I said, well, I have a political science degree. What, what, what should I do? They said, you should be parking cars at Epcot. So That's that right. Full-time <laughs> job. And I did that for about six months. And then at the end of that, um, I had an opportunity to go as a management trainee. I had applied for a work visa when I was at BU to work uh, in Europe. And so I was able to transfer over and actually help open the uh, Euro Disney project in France. Oh. So I opened the parking lot over there because that's what I knew. Amazing. Uh, as a management trainee, I got there in January 92 and we opened the park in April and it was, uh, boy, it was, it was pretty stressful. You get to a new country, you don't speak the language. I mean, I had like five words and 
you're trying to figure out how to lead people and you're opening this brand new resort in another country. Right. Um, so it was that year was a pretty big learning curve for me. Um, but I went over just with this idea that, you know what, I can't speak French, but um, because I've never lived here. But if I, in the next, in the next year, if I don't learn how to speak it, now it's my fault. I really got right. to jump in. So every day was just a, it's kind of like a, um, these stories, you know, the phone rings, you break out in a cold sweat. You're like, no, not the phone. It's so yeah. hard to understand people on the phone. So um, I kind of survived that year. And um, my, um, the, 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 the lady I met when I was training in Florida, um, she had actually worked for Disney previously also. And she was from France. Uh, so Valerie worked in the French pavilion and, um, and then uh, joined the Euro Disney project. So we started dating and, um, about uh, uh, six weeks before my visa expired, uh, we decided that things were going pretty well and I needed to find a plan. So we decided to get married and it was amazing washing the dishes one morning. Um, and she said, yep, let's do it. And so four weeks later, we got married. That's and, awesome. Uh, 18 people came to our wedding. It was a little, real small wedding in, uh, in outside of Disneyland Paris. And then uh, we stayed there for five years. So okay. I, was, I worked there for five years in total as a frontline manager. Our son was born in uh, 95, and then we moved back to Florida uh, in 1997, and I spent the next 22 years working at Walt Disney World. Um, I was an operations manager at Epcot. Uh, I ended up going back and doing my uh, MBA um, back in 1999. So okay. this was, what, eight years after I graduated from undergrad, I decided I really should go back and get maybe more formalized education on business. Right. And uh, we had two more kids uh, during that period also. And uh, ended up working, I was in uh, resort hotels for six years, and then went back to the Magic Kingdom as a general manager for a few years. And then I got promoted to be the vice president of Epcot back in uh, 2009. So that was pretty cool to be having parked cars there and go back as the vice yeah. president and still know a lot of the people there. Right. And uh, I did that for two years. And then I was a vice president of Disney's Hollywood Studios for four years. And then the last three years, uh, I was at the Magic Kingdom. I ran the Magic Kingdom for three years. And uh, all our kids were getting older. Uh, we have a 25-year-old, a 22-year-old, and a 19-year-old. So they, the youngest was going to move out for college. And my wife and I started talking about what was next. And we talked about what was next for a full year. And finally, after a year, it took me a year to make a decision right. to do something crazy and leave Disney. And uh, we, uh, I left May of uh, 2018 and uh, Valerie and I started our own company and we're doing, uh, we train people all over the world. Um, we've worked in Croatia. Uh, we've been in France. We were in Peru a few months ago before the pandemic, um, working with a train company. Um, you know, I, my book, I know we're going to talk about that. Uh, keynote speeches, uh, you name it. And we're out there sharing our Disney background and Disney experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, people love to hear about it. And we have a lot to share. So. That's amazing. I mean, what a story of faithfulness, parking cars in Epcot and then ending up being the vice president of Epcot and then moving over to the Magic Kingdom. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. What a it dream is. to work at the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that that is the story I told you is, is a very common story. A lot right. of the executives who work there, um, we really value people at Disney working and understanding what the frontline positions are like, because that's where mm all the value is. That's where the magic happens. Yeah. And so uh, you get a really um, a, a respect for the people doing those jobs and you have an empathy for them. And so when you get into these executive roles, you really are more supportive because you remember what it was like to do those jobs and how hard mm -hmm. they are and how high the expectations are. So that's uh, something I really valued being there is they, 
they made you go through and, you know, I had 19 different jobs over the 26 years. Mm. And um, that's going to be a theme of this interview. I'll keep reinforcing um, just, I think the value to get diverse experiences in life and not just, just, not just for professional purposes, but just right. to make things more interesting. The world is such a big place. There's so much to learn. We are more connected than ever. I mean, I, I know a lot of younger people just take the internet for granted, but I never right. take it for granted that I can just type anything and know anything instantly. I mean, that's just, yeah. it's amazing. And um, as I'm getting older, I'm really starting to realize how valuable that is and how much more I have to learn. So, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's a lifelong uh, endeavor, I think. Right. That's, I mean, that's amazing. Well, let, let's talk about your book and let's talk about the experiences you had. I feel like what you just talked about could be a whole nother episode, but I'm sure it fits into there under leading team or leading organization or something in there. But the, your book is kind of broken down into four aspects. It's, it's leading yourself. You got to be able to do that. You got to be able to lead your team and then lead an organization. And then you got to know how to lead change. So I kind of just want to walk through those and kind of get your, your opinion on each and how great leaders do it best. And so yeah. starting from the top, leading yourself, you say you got to learn how to prepare yourself physically, mentally, and organizationally. What, what does this look like for even a VP at Disney or just a leader in general? Yeah, this is something, it's funny because when we were writing the book, uh, the editor had suggested that we put this whole section at the end of the book, because when mm. you read a business book, you don't expect people to talking about, be talking about exercise and diet and how much sleep you get. But um, as I've gotten older in my life, and I really realize these are such basic things. And right. um, a lot of people, you just take, when you're younger, I think you take your health for granted. You take a lot of things for granted because you're so vibrant and um and I've, I've seen over time um, how important it is and how much, you know, you have such control over yourself. And if you, the way I look at it is if you can be in the best possible mindset and feel the best about yourself, you're going to perform better with your family. You're going to perform better at work. You're just going to be a better person. And um, I, you know, I, I grew up playing sports and I think there's nothing, there's not a better example than athletes, you know, professional athletes, they take care of themselves. They drink right. a lot of water. They get electrolytes. They, they have a very strict diet. They exercise. They have to be fit. They have um, psychologists who well, uh, work with them on visualization. You know, a big part of sports is the mental game. Right. And so um, I think for some reason, um, we don't see um, us people working as the same as that. But I really do believe the same stresses you're put through um, working is the same as professional athletics. Now, maybe you're physically not performing at that level, but you certainly have the stresses they do. You certainly have the responsibilities. And so um, it's some basic things. So one, get exercise and yep. you don't have to be a triathlete. Just get your heart rate up every once in a while right. um, and, and make sure your, your, your body is supposed to get exercise. It was designed for that. And if you go back uh, thousands of years, uh, people were really fit because they had to run to catch their food and run away from things. And right. somehow, you know, with evolution and uh, technology now, we don't have to worry about that anymore, but our body doesn't know that. So I'm mm. um, just finding time um, to be able to get some exercise is hugely important. The natural endorphins you create, make you feel better, make you feel more confident, more positive. Um, uh, eating in moderation. That's another thing. Living in France, yeah. um, portions were really small. You know, everyone talks about why are, you know, the people in Europe thinner and it's like, well, because they, they're usually when you go to a restaurant, the portions are half the size of the U.S. <laughs> and, right. Um, so in the book, I put a, um, an example. I know a guy who um, he goes to restaurants and when he goes to a restaurant, he always asks him to put half the meal in a box and then bring the other half to serve him. So he just knows off the bat, he's going to eat half of it. 
because huh. you don't need the whole thing and he'll eat the other half later. But um, it's just, if I, I really think you can eat or drink whatever you want, if you can do it in moderation, I think we're, we're a, a country of extremes. Either I'm right. going to be on this really Spartan diet or I'm just going to mm. go crazy. And mm. I think life is about moderation, uh, getting enough sleep. You know, I think sleep is an epidemic. People don't get enough sleep and I don't think they realize how much it impacts their health, their right. mental acuity. And then lastly, uh, organization. Um, people, you know, most people who get frustrated or stressed, it's just because they don't have good systems in place. They just don't have good ways to take care of things, to remove things. And as you get older and you get more responsibility, you can't remember everything because you have right. um, things you've committed to, to your family. You have to remember birthdays. You have to remember details about your family. Then you have to go to work and you have deadlines to follow up on. And so I talk about that in the book, just get a system in place and you will save yourself a whole bunch of uh, stress in your life. And I compare it to uh, when you get on a plane, they always tell you, you know, if the, if the, the oxygen mass drops, they always tell you to put it on yourself first. Yep. And that's because if you don't do it and the people who can't put it on can't do it and you pass out, then everyone's in trouble. So mm -hmm. take care of yourself first. Even at uh, the parks, you know, we have a role called the duty manager. And that's sort of the person who's in charge of the operation at any given time. They're the point right. person. And, um, you know, at Disney, like a lot of big places like that, every once in a while, you'll get bomb threats. That happens, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a prank or people are trying to, whatever it is. And um, we always have trained the duty managers when there's a bomb threat, you don't go to where the bomb threat is. You go away from it. You find right. a place that's safe so you can manage the situation. And most people want to go to where it is because they feel like they're supposed to put themselves in danger also and help that. But um, once again, if they are injured, um, that no one's going to be managing the situation. So um, it's just an important point. And I think the, the sooner in your life you can realize uh, taking care of yourself, um, your quality of life will go get better later. I mean, it seems like yesterday I was 22. I could not go to sleep at night, get up the next day, eat whatever I want. I was fit. I had all this energy and now I'm 51 and I'm like, all right, what happened? I blinked and I'm a 51 <laughs> and um, you know, health is something you just can't take for granted and it's not going to be there all the time. And if you make a, a concerted effort, you can really uh, be in a much better position. Yeah. And I think even to your point, you're talking about what it looks like for running into a situation and harming yourself, but even you can harm your whole team by like disabilitating yourself in your lack of self-discipline. If, right. if you're not disciplined, if you're not organized and, and you're not setting these standards or these goals to keep yourself physically fit, mentally fit and keep yourself organized, your whole team is going to suffer. So what, right. what did it look like for you on the organization side? I feel like that's what a lot of young leaders need to know. Even if you're a 22 year old person, how do you set habits now to make sure yeah. you're organized when you're older? Yeah, great question. Um, something I lay out in the book, I'm a big fan of, is a tool called the uh, Eisenhower Matrix, and it's a it's a quadrant. There's four boxes, and it basically, um, if you use it as a planning tool, it 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 makes you think about things that are urgent and not urgent, and important and not important, mm -hmm. because things in life, I I. I categorize things that are important as things only I can do because if I can delegate something, it's probably not important because someone else can do it. But when it came to working in the park, only I could walk around the park and talk to employees as the vice president of the park and really make right. them feel special and be able to follow up on things. So that's not something I could delegate. So that was important for me. Um, only I can read books to my kids every night when they're little and teach them to have a love of reading. You know, right. there's things only you can do. So those are considered important. And then urgent is what, what's the consequence if I don't follow up with this right away? Um, if I get a call from a, a guest or a client who needs immediate help, if I don't react immediately, 
uh, they may not do business with me ever again. Um, right. And there's other things that aren't urgent. So like your retirement, you know, right now that's not urgent for you. You have right. many decades to save, but it's important. And probably now is the best time to start planning for that and don't wait until it becomes urgent because most Americans, you know, retire with a negative net worth. And that's right. a problem because they weren't thinking about this decades earlier. So I would get up every morning and really look at my list and say, okay, what's going to happen today that's going to be urgent and important? And the bottom line was, I didn't know what it was because I hadn't arrived at the park yet. And when I got to the park, all the urgent, important things were going to pop up. There was going to be maybe a bomb threat. There was going to be um, one of the attractions was going to break down. Something was going to happen. There was always things going on in a place that has 60,000 people. So what I right. learned was, although I don't know what's going to happen, I need to save time so I can react to it. Um, what I found at Disney and a lot of companies is people really overscheduled themselves. They have back-to-back meetings, back-to-back phone calls. And then when they're asked to react to an operational or an emergency, they don't, they, they, their whole day gets out of whack because now they're missing the meetings and they feel like they're being pulled away. So I actually tried to keep a pretty light schedule so I could be reactive because running a theme park, you have to be available to talk to people, right. handle things. And then the other box I really tried to focus on was things that are important and not urgent. So once a month, I blocked an afternoon on my calendar just to go think. It just said, mm. think. And it was a four hour meeting with myself just to go mm. think about what are you working on? Is there anything you can prove upon? How are you, you know, how are you doing with your family? How's work going? Should you be, um, and just kind of, uh, I guess, reflecting about what I can make improvements upon. Um, I would take my team out once a quarter and we would talk about how we're getting work done. And, and do we all agree that communication is going well? We just discussed that. So it was outside the operation, but it was thinking about the, the broader context to how we were working. And so I would tell you, um, those two things. If you can think about what's urgent, important, and urgent, uh, not urgent, important, um, you'll be ahead of 90% of people. And then lastly, just have a system to follow up. Mm. Uh, everyone has a different system. You, there's a million apps out there now. Right. You know, Siri, you know, Siri will remind you consistently. If you tell her to remind you in a year from now at 3.45 PM on a Tuesday, she'll do it. She yeah. never forgets. She's faithful. Yeah. So don't try to have a good memory. You just use technology to help you to remind and follow up on things. If you tell, as a leader, if you tell someone, you know what, I know you're having a problem with your insurance claim. Let me call HR and check for you. You better do it because that's your right. word. And if you don't follow through, your credibility goes down, the trustworthiness goes down and you lose mm. respect. And so um, it's such a basic thing, but it's so hard for people to do because um, it comes down to self-discipline, wanting to be able to be good at following through. Yeah, and that's huge. Uh, being organized is so important for the health of yourself and for the health of the people you're trying to lead. I think that's huge. And so the second aspect is leading your team. You kind of mentioned it in there, taking your team out quarterly to to really talk about how we're doing, where, where are we going, what are the goals we want to hit. You say our success relies on the success of our teams and peers. Learn how to help them be their best. And so kind of what does that look like? How would you do that practically? Yeah, well, I, I learned this early in my career and I kept kept learning at every job I went into. Um, you know, when you when you first start out in a job, so when I was parking cars at Epcot, all I really had to worry about was myself, right? Because right. I was no one was reporting to me and I was out there doing my job. And and at the end of the day I had to do my job well. And if I wanted to, I could help out other people, but that wasn't a requirement. It was encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I became a manager. So now I have a team of people parking cars. And now I got to, you know, talk to them about, okay, what's the safest way to do this and how can they be really courteous and nice to people? So now I'm working through people to get the job done. And then eventually when I became a general manager, 
I have people running locations who are managing managers who are leading employees. So now right. I'm two levels removed from the frontline uh, guests. And so what I realized over time is um, as you, it goes further and further, it really isn't about your performance anymore. It's about how well you get your team to perform. And um, that's what culture is. As a leader, you create an environment where people thrive, where people really want to be their best, where they feel valued, they feel respected, they're trained, they have the right tools to do their jobs. And if you can do all that, you're going to get the best results, but it's not, it's going to be through them. And so uh, there's really four areas that I, I talk about with leading team. Um, first one is you have to have the right people on your team. Mm. Um, a lot of times people think they can hire anybody and then train them to do whatever they want them to do, but that's not right. true. We all have certain things that we're passionate about and we're good at. Um, you know, I, there's a quote, um, um, what is uh, ridiculously easy for some is painstakingly difficult for others. Right. Think about math, think about, um, you know, doing uh, uh, logic formulas. I mean, everyone has certain things they're really good at. And if you can find people who, who, whose values and who passion and whose attitudes align with the jobs, um, you're going you're gonna to have a great team. Right. So for example, Disney, if I hire people who really don't like to work on teams and don't like interacting with people, that's going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. So I got to make sure I have those kind of people on my team. So um, hiring the right people. And I'd say, if you do that well, you almost don't have to worry about anything else. Cause when you have the right people with the right attitudes who are really go-getters and are really um, proud and passionate of what they do, um, your job gets so much easier. And then the three other things, build relationships with people. It, it, work is not just about talking what people need to do for you. You need to make That's a huge. personal connection with them. And there has to be, a place where you care about them and they care about you because that's where you get great results. So spending time to understand who they are personally, um, understanding what motivates them, right? Um, knowing where they spend their spare time so you can think about what balance looks like for them. Um, number three is setting clear expectations. You know, a lot of times that's why, once again, I love sports. Sports have rules. You can't go out and play a sport and just make stuff up as you go. Right. Um, you have to, and that, and everyone understands what the rules are. And that's what makes sports so great. In, in business, a lot of times people never explain to people what the rules are. And so people are trying to guess how to be good at what they do. Or when you say, I need that ASAP, what does that mean? Does that mean yeah. now, tomorrow, in an hour? So setting clear expectations is such an important thing for the leader to do. And right. then lastly is this whole interactive thing with reward and recognition and feedback. Mm -hmm. um, when someone does something right, you reward and recognize them. And you don't do it because you want to make them feel better or build morale. You do it because you want to reinforce the behavior. You want them to do it again. And you want everyone on the team to know that you value that behavior. Yep. And then uh, same with uh, giving feedback. It's something that a lot of younger leaders shy away from because they don't want to have that conflict. But as a leader, if you can't do that, don't get in a leadership role because you yep. got to be able to tell people where they can make improvements and invest in them. And um, a lot of people say, well, what if I hurt their feelings? It's like, well, what if they don't do a good job? You never tell them. And after five years, they think they're doing a good job and they go somewhere else and they can't do the job because you didn't set the bar high enough. So right. as a leader, you really are responsible to develop them and give them feedback and sometimes give them the, the hard feedback they may not want to hear, but they're going to thank you for years later. So those are the components of leading a team. Get the right people on your team, build relationships with them, create clear expectations for performance, and then reward and recognize and coach them when appropriate. 
Yeah, I think feedback's huge. And what a lot of young leaders, like you said, shy away from because they are afraid of that conflict. They're, they're afraid of the disunity. Um, but in reality, the most loving thing you can do is provide someone with the feedback for the reason you gave and to make the team better. Because if you have one person slacking and no one tells them, everyone's going to build resentment towards that person and the team will never go forward and never get better. Absolutely. I and, think and that's you huge. Gotta, you got to be out and candid with people and have transparency. And I, I struggled with that earlier in my career. I was yeah. a guy too that you know, those tough conversations, I'd get nervous. I didn't know how to do them. So I wrote a couple chapters in the book, really how to do that well and how to prepare for that. Cause um, you need to be able to be really professional when you do that, be specific. And I go through that in the book. Yeah. You're gonna have to get the book to find out more on that. Go buy it right now. Number three, we're leading organizations. So once we know how to lead our team, we got to lead an organization. You you say, discover strategies to enable your organization to understand its purpose and to continuously improve. Constant improvement. I mean, Disney is just its own animal when it comes to customer service, when it comes to clarity on vision and where you're going. When you walk into a theme park, you know that these people are trained and they, they all understand the purpose. So kind of talk about that. What does that look like? Yeah, well, leading an organization, and, and a lot of people say, "Well, do I have to lead twelve thousand people to for to to do this well?" I said, "No, you can you you can have no one reporting to you, and these are still important concepts because you're interacting with people." And uh, I, I'm a strong believer that everybody's a leader. Um, if your comments and you influence people's thinking, you are a leader, right? Uh, whether you're it's a peer or anyone else. So yeah, when it comes to leading organization, these are the broader things. Um, once again, uh, the book's all about culture. How do I create an environment where people contribute constantly? So some of the themes there um, are um, communication is one. Like my, one of my big uh, goals when I worked at Disney was being accessible and approachable, no matter what level I was, because I wanted employees to feel comfortable to talk to me and tell me what their thoughts were, if they thought there was areas for improvement, because no one knows better than the frontline employees about what works and doesn't work. You know, they're talking to the, the guests every day. Um, no one knows better what the guests like to eat at a table service restaurant than the chef and the server. Because they get to hear the comments, they hear the complaints, they hear the compliments. Right. And so you got to listen, give people an opportunity to speak up. And when you have a place where you have so many people working, a lot of times people don't know who to talk to. Like, well, if I have an idea, who do I, who do I call? Who do I bubble yeah. this up to? And so I was big on making sure people had accessibility to me. Um, I advertised my confidential voicemail. Anyone could leave me a voicemail. And if they left me a callback number, I'd personally call them back. I would go to the you know cast uh, cafeteria regularly and sit with cast members and chat. Um, I did roundtable discussions with managers and and frontline uh, employees to talk about their work experience at Disney and what where we could improve upon it. Because once again, I knew if I could make their work experience better, we were going to get better results. And then that's well, that was my goal: get better results. Uh, collaboration was an, an area to talk about. Um, being open to help people. Um, a lot of organizations, you have these silos that say, well, I, I have my job, you have your job, and you just got to figure it out. And I think one of the things that Disney excels in is we all understand we're, we're not there to work for ourselves. We're all there to work on behalf of the guest. And yeah. so if you call me and you need help with a guest situation or a new process, I work in Disney, I should say, yes, I'm going to help you. Even if I don't know you, even if you're in a whole different department, if it's going to be to make the cast experience better and the guest experience better, the answer should always be yes, let's figure this out. And that collaboration is very valuable. Um, and I realized at Disney, you know, no one gets anything done alone there. Um, yeah. You always have to collaborate with people because it's so big and it's so complex. Um, and there's a great uh, quote I often use. It's um, an African proverb. It's, 
if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, uh, go together. And it really yeah. talks about the fact that a lot of people don't want to spend all that time on the relationships and the interactions, but they may go fast, but they're not going to go very far because it's mm -hmm. uh, you need to get people on board. Um, and then uh, the last thing I talk about in there, and a lot of it's around clarity of expectations. And you mentioned it, you know, have a clear vision. What, yeah. what do we want to be? You know, do we want to be the best bakery in Amarillo, Texas? And if that's our vision, let's work towards that. What is it going to take? And then once we attain that, we want to be the best bakery in Texas. And if we attain that, we want to be the best bakery in the United States. And you're always, your vision is always looking five years, 10 years forward to what you want to be. And if your vision is right, it's always going to drive you forward to keep making improvements and keep pushing forward instead of just, you know, settling for what you got. And, uh, you know, businesses grow or they decline. They don't stay the same. Right. And uh, Bob Iger's famous quote is, you know, status quo is not a strategy. Just staying the same is not a strategy. You always have to be thinking about how the environment's changing and what's coming next because you just never know what's around the corner. COVID-19, right. the iPhone, artificial intelligence, climate change. I mean, you name it, it's out there. And if people ignore that, they're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Can I talk about the, the legacy of Walt Disney in that aspect of he was just this pioneer, the guy that was having the new ideas everyone thought was crazy. Now he's built literally a kingdom that you worked at. Right. Uh, this idea of continuously improving, kind of what's the, the legacy of Walt Disney behind that? Yeah. You know, it's funny. A lot of people, when we make changes at, at Disney, they always, you always read those things online. Well, Walt Disney would be turning over in his grave if he knew yeah. he did Yeah. The, the fact was he was an innovator and he was right. always changing things. Right. And somehow when the, the founder dies, everyone thinks everything should stop in time and nothing should ever change again. Mm. And uh, that's not the way he operated. He always knew there's a better way to do it. There's a, a better way to keep going forward. Um, he was famous. One of his quotes was, um, you know, we should never rest on our laurels, take a moment to rest on our laurels and, 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 and congratulate ourselves. We always got to be pushing forward yeah. and to have that energy level, that excitement level, he, he brought that to the company. And that's why the company is, you know, luckily has hired the right executives to keep representing that, that challenge he had was we're always going to be changing. We're always going to do different things. Um, at the end of the day, we are in, we're in the entertainment business. We're here to entertain people, whether it's on a cruise ship, or a movie or a theme park. Um, we're entertaining people. We're doing it in different ways, but uh, you're always looking for a new way to do it and, and do it innovatively. And he, there, that's a whole podcast on itself, all the innovations right. he created uh, throughout his whole lifetime. I mean, that dude is a legend. I, I look up to that guy a lot and love reading his stuff, but, but change is hard and people are very resistant to change. Like you talk about people saying that the founder would be turning over in his grave, even though he's such an innovator. Now what we're doing isn't right because people don't like change. And that's the last aspect of your book is navigating effectively through change will reduce stress and maintain trust. And, but leading through change is hard. And right now, I'm sure a lot of leaders are realizing this or having to, to go through this is you're having to make a lot of changes. So how at Disney would y'all approach change? Yeah, there's, um, um, we, we had successes and failures doing this, but uh, a few things I learned along the way, um, I probably one of the most important things. And um, this is another quote I use in when I do keynote speeches is that authorship inspires ownership. So when you get to be part of the solution, you're much more likely to get uh, be connected and want it to be successful. 
And if it goes wrong, you're going to help fix it and make it better. What a lot of companies do, they don't include, they don't involve people in the solution. They just come up with an idea in the boardroom. They come out and they tell everyone about it. Well, no one has any skin in the game. No one has right. gotten to, to, to participate in the idea or weigh in or, or make it the best idea it can be. So then they just sit back and they wait. And if, if it fails, no one's really willing to come in and um, help fix it because they weren't involved at the beginning uh, of, the, mm -hmm. of the plan. And so what we realized at Disney often was getting um, as many people involved as soon as possible in a project. Now, there's a lot of confidential projects that happen and you had to wait to a certain time. But as soon as you could start engaging uh, your managers, your frontline employees in whatever you were going to be rolling out and talking to them about it, they started to process it. They started to ask questions. If you could ask them their opinion on it, then they'd give you their opinion. And when you actually rolled out whatever it was, whether it was, you know, My Magic Plus is a good example, you know, billion dollar project, right? RFID technology, yeah. magic bands, an app. We had Wi-Fi all at Walt Disney World. We, I did town hall. Well, every executive at Walt Disney World did town hall meetings. Um, and I probably did, I don't know, 20 of them uh, at different times of the day over a few months. So every employee at the magic kingdom could hear from me about the project mm -hmm. and, and, and get me and let them get excited about it. And also tell them that a lot of it wasn't going to work at the beginning. And we were counting on them to make sure the guest is still going to have a great stay. So I think that's one of the reasons that rollout was so successful because so many people were involved so early in the process. They understood why we're doing it. We were clear about uh, how hard it was going to be. So we didn't try to tell them, don't worry, this is going to be easy. We right. told them it was going to be hard. And uh, once things started going wrong, they were more likely to speak up and help us fix it and make the changes we needed to because they were involved. And that's just human nature. When you're involved, you care more. And I think yeah. that's a thing that a lot of um, organizations forget about when they're do or changing things. They don't, um, they don't include the people who are at, they're actually counting on to make the change. Yeah. And I, I mean, those magic bands are amazing. They're very, they're revolutionary. They're changing the way theme parks, the way y'all admit people do fast passes and everything, but there had to have been technical difficulties at the beginning. And imagine if you would have just said, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to stop rather than pushing forward. It, it would have been catastrophic. And so I think that's a huge part. So at Disney, what did it look like for y'all, even when the change got hard to continue inspiring people to go forward, push, say, this is for the benefit of the company. Yeah. Well, great question. Again, you got some great questions. I'll tell you. Thanks. I, I try. So, um, yeah. One of the things we talked about was, and we wanted to make sure all the employees understood was we cannot become the servants of technology. Right. You know, if a family walks up to Splash Mountain and there's five in the family and everyone goes through and taps their magic band and it turns green and the fifth member of the family goes up and touches and it turns blue, which means you can't come in. Right. You let them in yeah. because either they forgot to, to, to sign up or there's a problem with the system. They thought they did, but you don't say, look, I know you're the 13 year old daughter, but you can't go in because it's blue. It's like, well, those are my parents and my brother and sister. We've been right. traveling together all day. That's where you have to teach people don't let the color of the thing uh, or the, the technology tell you what the right answer is. Use your yeah. common sense. Um, we even had a, a system where if um, the, the, uh, the system went offline one day, right? Mm -hmm. So nothing's working. Yeah, that's we, tough. We'd, we'd built in, a, we'd built in a, a functionality was called auto green. Mm -hmm. So for like three hours that uh -oh. day, if you went up to any attraction with a magic band or any RFID and touched it, it would turn green. That's now, nobody awesome. knew this. But no one even knew the system was down because we right. just went and said, look, we're going to fake it until we can fix it. 
And so once again, don't let the technology impact your, your customer experience and always have a backup plan and have a redundancy plan because technology is great when it's working and when it doesn't work, it's really not great. And so you got to have a workaround so you don't get paralyzed. I love that. And that's why I love Disney, the innovative, the, the what we're going to let you in, even though the taking it one step uh, further than the other theme parks would. That, that's just why I love Disney. It, it's so innovative. It's so amazing. And it's so magical, which is the point. Uh, so kind of plug your book, your book. It's called How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? Very fitting title. Where can they find the book? Well, it's, it's great because as of today, you can find it wherever books are sold. That's right. It is launch day, August 11th. It's August 11th. We're out. We're live, baby. That's right. So um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, if you want to support your local bookstore, yeah. if they don't have it, just have them order it for you. Um, and uh, wherever books are sold, you can, get, you can get a copy. That's amazing. I think it's very incredibly important for leaders to know and young leaders to know this. So whenever they do step into that leadership role, they're ready and they're not overwhelmed with the pressures of leadership. Dan, last question for you. We love asking this question. What advice would you give to your 20 year old self? When you look back at Dan Cockroy's, he's uh, parking cars at Epcot. What would you tell that person? Yeah, that's good. Um, well, I don't, you know, I don't really don't have a lot of regrets. I really am uh, happy with the yeah. decisions I made the fact that, you know, I, like I said, 19 different jobs, uh, always um, saying yes, um, being open-minded, trying things. You know, that's what we've done with our three kids is we travel everywhere with them. We've taken them all over the world because we want them to be open-minded and be willing right. to accept other you know differences. And um, I don't like, I, don't, I can't think of many things I do differently, except the one thing I do realize is I would probably even, even focus more on educating myself. Um, you know, but it's, it's hard to say I would have done that differently. Cause when you're, you're, you're working, you get married, then you have a house and you have kids and you're in, you're, you have a really busy life. Right. And, uh, but the fact that, um, you only have, uh, uh, so long in your life to learn about the world and there's so much mm-hmm. to learn. And I feel like now I'm getting older. I really am trying to accelerate that because there's yep. so much, the more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. And so you want to learn more. And, um, just every day when I'm online, learning about different countries and different traditions. And uh, my wife and I, like I said, we've, we've worked down in South America. Um, we were in Japan uh, two summers ago for the rugby world cup. We've been to South Africa and Morocco in the desert. And um, just the more people you meet, you realize how incredible this world is. So I would right. just tell people be curious. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the best times in human history right now. There's it, believe it or not, there's the let the least violence has ever been in the history of man. And this, uh, all the technology that's happening, yeah. it's a great time to be around. And um, once again, you have all this information, at your fingertips, all you need is to be curious and want to learn new things. So um, as my dad says, get out of your village and go mm-hmm. see the world. It'll change your point of view. It'll change your perspective and it'll make you think about the world in a much different way. The world's big. It's vast. There's a lot to learn. Be curious, ask questions, read books. Education's not always formal. You can ask questions. You can just walk around, see creation. It's beautiful. Continue to learn. Dan, thank you so much for your time and congrats on the new book. My pleasure. Great job with the podcast, Zach. Thank you.